That's the news from RTHK. Cannabis is a dangerous drug. From February 1st, 2023, cannabidiol or CBD is also a dangerous drug under the law. It is illegal to possess or trade CBD products in Hong Kong without permission. Also, don't bring any CBD products into Hong Kong from abroad. Trafficking or sales of CBD products will be subject to a maximum fine of $5 million and life imprisonment. Visit the Narcotics Division's webpage on CBD for details. CBD, not for me. Let's stand firm. Knock drugs out. Good morning and welcome to Week on 3 with me, Janice Wong, where we look at all the can't-miss interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. In the next half hour, we will hear about possible bus fare hikes and chat GPT. But first, let's hear our back chat discussion on Wednesday about Michelle Yeoh's historic Oscar win and what it means for Asian cinema. Mike Rouse and I spoke to Jason Koh, assistant professor from the Academy of Film at Baptist University, film reviewer Elizabeth Kerr and Timmy Chen, a member of the Hong Kong Film Critics Society. I first asked Professor Koh about his initial reaction to the news. I thought it was about time. You know, uh, Michelle Yeoh is one of the world's biggest stars, definitely one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in all of Asia, and has been dominating headlines uh, and demonstrating her acting prowess for the last three decades. Not only can she do dramatic work, she can also do stunt work and action, you know, um, and she brings a gravitas to her role that means that she has to be taken seriously. And it's about time that the Academy recognized her. All right. And Miss Kerr, what do you think? I mean, did her win come as uh, much of a surprise? I mean, even before the Oscars, uh, the movie already uh, um, grabbed many awards at the, uh, for example, at the uh, Screen Actors Guild and uh, Producers Guild of America. Um, I don't think it was much of a surprise to anyone. And I would agree that it's about time, but she probably should have won for a few things. Well, of course, it's about time, which is why you say that, because she should have won already for something else. Was it a surprise? Not really considering the other Guild Awards and all that kind of thing. Momentum was on her side. Uh, in fairness, it, 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 Best Actress is probably one of the tighter races this year. Kate Blanchett turned in a stellar performance. Tar was an incredible performance. And if, you know, in some circumstances, pound for pound, it might be better than everything everywhere. Um, it depends very much though on how much you like the film and everything everywhere is a lot easier to like it's a lot more fun it's a lot more um re- recognizably emotional and and michelle Yeoh's performance was a lot more empathetic i think what, and a little more connective which of our other films do you think would have been stronger for her as a oscar winner crouching tiger in the runaway she was excellent in crouching tiger um that's the one i think that really i mean she was fairly fairly well known she was very well known in this part of the world long before crouching tiger for all my personal favorite is you know the the heroic trio but i don't think that's really uh, oscar material um there was plenty of stuff that she should have uh won for before crouching tiger as well littler things um Crouching Tiger is the one that I think made her uh, a much bigger international star. 
Right, but I thought in terms of character development <laughs> and presenting across, uh, I actually rather liked uh, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> <laughs> or linguistic accuracy as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean... Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's another movie like Tar, which uh, her performance depends very much on how... Uh, how much you like her performance depends on how much you like that film. I don't like that film. Right. I... A lot so, of, a lot of you know, even, even, with my, even with my girl Michelle in it, I'm going, nah, well, this is a rom-com. And I just, that's the personal bias. I just don't like rom-coms. I don't care where they're from and who's in them and what it's about and what the linguistics are like. I don't think it looked like Singapore. I think it looked like a, um, a tourism board ad, but this is another argument altogether, so I'm going to stop now. Right. Jason, could our cinema scene make a comeback? Ah, good question. And that's the question everyone's asking, really. You know, even if you look at Variety or, you know, these uh, mainstream Hollywood presses, you know, they're looking at what is the possibility for a comeback for Hong Kong cinema specifically. Right. When you I know? when I was here in the 70s, I was always watching Chinese films, right. actually many of them in Mandarin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that yeah. was the era. But there yeah. were some good ones with Bruce Lee, of course, and all that. Of course. Yeah. And we were, we were going around the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, a big part of that is action. You know, and uh, Hong Kong has been the main innovator, I think, at least, in uh, martial arts stunt choreography. And it's had such a great influence on the rest of the world. And one of those innovations is to say that you can have a female stunt actress who can do her own stunts. And uh, there is a long tradition of great Asian American, actri American actresses, like Dr. Chen said, such as Nancy Kwan and Anna Mae Wong. But I think that Michelle Yeoh is also part of a tradition in Hong Kong cinema of female actresses who can do stunt work and who are feature stars in these martial arts choreography and uh, can handle the strenuous difficulties of looking beautiful while also flying through the air connected to wires. So, and that's something that's, uh, that Hong Kong brought to the world and really changed, you know, the industry. And yeah, I, I can understand that, you know, the gravitas necessary for someone like Kate Blanchett, who has won the award twice, right, to do a role where she is um, both uh, enamored with power, abusing her power, but also victim to her own power, right? But can she do that while also in heels and also <laughs> flying through the air? <laughs> and I think that that's something that Michelle Yeoh and other actresses like her, you know, she comes from a tradition of that, you know, like Bridget Lin, for example, um, who have done that in Hong Kong. And I think that that's something that's a neglected side when we think about what it, what you deserve an Oscar for. And a lot of the great actors from early cinema, right, like Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, they were known for their physical movement, you know, and their ability to convey things with their bodies. And that's something that Asian actors and actresses can do. But that's something that's been neglected with the Oscars. And so that's another reason why I think that this might provide new possibilities of new ways of thinking about what acting and what a best actor is and what they can do. Not just a powerful performance of the drama of power, like it's a Greek tragedy, but, you know, to excite people with things you can do with your body. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Here, here. There's a, a movement right now within the guilds in Hollywood to uh, kind of, and I would stump for them as well, to, to kind of advocate for a, a stunt performance. Oscar, based, uh, specific category for just done performances. Every, a lot of other industries do it. Hollywood, with its crazy stunts, hello, okay, you can't give Tom Cruise everything, but if they want to give Tom Cruise something, this might be his chance. Um, with the crazy stuff they do there, 
on sheer scale. Not I'm not talking about wider scale or just scale. Where is where is the stunt? Where is the award to recognize the stunt players who um, really do? drive the industry. Right, and so far we've uh, focused a lot on uh, Michelle Yeoh, um, but uh, Professor Ko, what about the uh, Vietnamese-American uh, uh, actor Ki Hui Huan, who, who won an Oscar for his uh, supporting role in the movie? Um, he also has a very interesting story, right? Yeah, and a connection to Hong Kong cinema. Uh, apparently, oh, wow. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I read recently, uh, actually my wife told me because she loves reading this kind of stuff, is uh, he met his wife on a Wong Kar Wai set. Oh. Yeah, and his wife was uh, Wong Kar Wai set them up apparently, <laughs> and um, so Ke Hui Kwan um, started off as a child actor. Um, he and his younger, actually, I think his older brother was went to a casting call for uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and uh, I think Steven Spielberg or someone chose him instead because he was so electric, right? And you know, he really—I don't know if you've seen it. It's it's a pretty racist film, but. When I was a kid, I loved it. Oh, Indian beating hearts, you don't Yeah, know. exactly, right? Yeah, and, um, but he's so electric in the film, you know, and he really is the sort of linchpin heart of that film, you know, and in the end when uh, Indy, Dr. Jones, is in the, in the throes of the cult, he says, Dr. Jones, I love you, and then he turns around and he changes. So it's his sincere plea to Dr. Jones that changes his heart, right? Mm. And it's very similar to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Right. If you've seen it, at the end, uh, Michelle Yeoh's character is kind of going crazy doing martial arts, and he says, "No, stop. Be kind to each other." And he's the he's the emotional heart that changes it, you know. So, his story, I think, is definitely the most captivating. Um, he came to the U.S. as a refugee. He actually arrived on a boat, you know. And then it's the story of you know Asian actors and Asian American actors is he gets a role, you know, in these kind of stereotypes as you know short round. Um, and then suddenly there's no more roles for him because they just wanted him to be the cute Asian kid. And but he's, yeah. On that very point, there has been complaint for decades, for as long as I can remember, um, from female actors that once they get past a certain age, there's no more roles for them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I don't know whether the age was 30 at one point. <laughs> yeah. um, and what she's saying, what she was saying in her acceptance speech was, wow. You know, when you when yeah. you're fifty, you're not finished. Yeah, yeah. She says, "Ladies, don't let anyone tell you you ever passed your prime." Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And, and just going back to what you were saying, uh, Professor Ko, about uh, how uh, Ki Hui Huan, he, he was actually in, you know, some of the biggest blockbusters in the 1980s, like yeah. you said, uh, Indiana Jones. Um, and then later on, you were saying that he, he couldn't find enough uh, yeah. acting job after that yeah. for decades, actually, yeah, according yeah. to what he said. Um, does that show that uh, how, uh, Hollywood was uh, not uh, a hospitable place for Asians back then? Well, I don't think we just need to look at his story to know that. <laughs> Hollywood has not been a hospitable place to anyone except the white male. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's been documented empirically, statistically, you know, and we are seeing changes and uh, part of this is also demographic changes to the academy itself, a lot of it which has been held by Ang Lee, actually, um, to the voting members of the academy. And so we are seeing changes, um, and it has been historically racist and sexist and a place where major powerful producers are able to take advantage of people sexually, which we know about. So, you know, uh, it's no surprise, I think, that he had trouble. But he did go to Hong Kong. And he did work in stunt work in Hong Kong for a long time.
That's Jason Coe, assistant professor at Baptist University's Academy of Film, speaking on Backchat. We've been hearing a lot about AI tools like ChatGPT recently. On Monday's Money Talk program, Carolyn Wright took a deep dive into the technology to look at how such tools are already being used by criminals to take money. She spoke to Alex Chan, General Manager of Digital Transformation at the Hong Kong Productivity Council. And she began by asking him to explain what ChatGPT means. For ChatGPT, it's an intelligence chatbot developed by the company called OpenAI. And it has launched in November 2022 and has gained 100 million users worldwide just within two months of time. So people are using that uh, for asking him a simple question. They can give you a very sophisticated, organized answer within a second. That's why people are so loving him. Okay, so lots of people are having a lot of fun with this tool. But also, it seems like it can be quite easy to use ChatGPT and AI like it to create phishing emails, which is where things get a bit more scary. How, how easy is it for, for people to do that with it? You just ask him a question, he can give you a very good answer. For example, you can simply ask him to draft an email on behalf of a CEO to request his finance team to settle a payment for supplier urgently. It can give you a very professional looking email instantly. And besides, I think AI now can do more than just phishing email. And we can see there are other phishing channels such as voice and videos. And they are leveraging advanced technologies we call deepfake. And actually, there are some real-life examples happening. Uh, just back in 2019, a cyber criminal called the CEO of a UK energy firm using AI to impersonate the chief executive of the firm's German holding company and with impersonating the German accent as well. He requested him to make an urgent transfer of 243,000 US dollars to a Hungarian supplier. And last year in uh, 2022 June, FBI also warns of increasing complaints that cyber, cyber criminals are using American stolen personal information and use deepfakes to apply for remote work positions. The deepfakes are used to apply for position for an online interview, include the convincingly altered videos or images. They target those remote jobs, include position in tech fields that could allow the malicious actor to gain access to company and customers' confidential information after being hired. But I think all in all, these AI tools could just help you to develop the content. The cyber criminals still need to find the right contacts such as the email, mobile number, etc. Therefore, we need to protect our own personal information carefully to minimize the risk exposure. Got it. Now, it sounds like from what you're saying, it's, it's very easy for, for these things to be created nowadays. And it can be mm. kind of almost impossible to tell whether something has been created by humans or AI. With this, things like you were saying, the creation of this um, guy who was with a German accent and a deep fake yeah. video even. Yeah, um, though there are detection tools available, for example, OpenAI, the company which developed the JetGPT, has also invented a classifier to detect the text written by an AI. However, the accuracy is not that high at the moment. Uh, in their own evaluation, it can only correctly identify 26% of the AI written text, 
Ryle incorrectly labeling 9% of human written text as AI generators. And regarding the deepfake video, uh, Intel has developed a tool called Fake Catcher, which they claim can detect fake videos with 96%. But however, I, I would always say it's a competition between the attacker and the defenders, and there are always new form of attack emerge to break the current defense systems. So it's, it sounds to me that these AI systems are incredibly quick at learning. And while you're saying those percentages of the tools that can detect the, the fakes are quite low mm. at the moment, how quickly do you foresee that changing? Yeah, because I think uh, these cyber attacks now become more commercialized and organized and can evolve into a form we call it cyber attack as a service. The short form is CAS, CAS. Indeed, the CAS is an organized business model where the hacking tools and services are being sold in the dark web and making it accessible to those who want to launch an attack even without knowing computer programming languages. So that means individual actors are not required to be an expert in every component of a cyber operations. So, and also according to a report from Microsoft, the average price for these ransomware kits is just around 66 USD dollar. And for those 1,000 stolen username and password pairs, it costs less than one US dollar. So you can see the barrier for launching such attack is very low. Yeah, it sounds like it's very easy for these criminals to, to decide to use information like that for nefarious purposes. Now, you were mentioning about the detection there. Are there any other safety mechanisms that are being worked on to build into AI and tools like this to help prevent criminals from using them? Yes, indeed. Uh, we observed OpenAI has created some rules to restrict the ChatGPT for a few situations. For example, illegal activities, contents that harm children, harassing or violent conduct, and generation of malware, etc. However, cyber criminal has developed evasion methods and sold them as a criminal as a service in the dark web. And also, there are tricks in the prompts to work around these restrictions. For example, asking the question in a positive tone or split the question into pieces. So on the other hand, we also observe OpenAI has continuously improved their restriction rules to enhance their protections. So again, it is a constant competition between the attack and defense. That's Alex Chan, General Manager of Digital Transformation at the Hong Kong Productivity Council, speaking on Money Talk. Now, another hot topic this week is a steep rise in bus fares. Hong Kong bus companies are pushing for fare hikes of up to 50% amid the economic downturn and a decline in passenger base over the past 10 years. But a transport consultant, Alok Jain, says he finds the extent of the proposed fare increase to be rather arbitrary. And the companies haven't promised any improvement in services as a result of the fare increase. He told Ben Che on our Hong Kong Today program that passengers would be willing to pay more if the bus companies could provide better value for money. Fare increases in an inflationary market is inevitable. So that happens. Uh, it's, the question is how much and for what. 
And I think those are the two questions which currently are not very well answered. So, of course, how much we know, and these numbers look very big, uh, you know, the way they would like to increase the fares up to 50%. Now, Hong Kong had probably never seen 50% fare increase ever in the past, and so this is a big number to increase fares, fares too. Uh, and the second thing is for what? Is a, there is no service guarantee attached to any of the fare increases. So if you, in, from a consumer perspective, if you are paying more for any services, you need to have a certain level of service guarantee. And, and that is something that is not offered. Now, MTRC has gone through this process of fare adjustment mechanism. There's a transparency. There is an objectivity into, into the fare increases. At the moment, the fare increases of bus companies looks a bit arbitrary, as I can raise as much as possible, and, and that's what they are applying for. But instead of a fare increase, this looks appears to be a price gouging. And, and I think that is what is not nice. I think from a communication perspective, people are not ready to accept or digest what they are paying for when they are paying for these fare increases in the bus market. And I think that is the disconnect that they have. And also, uh, you know, from safety performance, and I've read the paper uh, that the government has presented, and somehow these, so many of these fare increases, uh, they are not even linked to any performance from the bus companies or, you know, the safety performance, accident rates, you know, all of those things. So I think so- somewhere, somehow, uh, people are willing to pay more, but they should be getting something more from the bus company. Now, most of the bus companies uh, last raised fares within the past year or two. Do you feel it is reasonable to have another increase now? That's a very uh, subjective uh, argument. But having said that, what, this is what I'm saying, that we don't know for what this fare is being increased and the um, quantity of increase. Uh, you know, So right now, it appears that this number, 50%, 9.8%, is a bit of an arbitrary number. Bus companies have just applied. There seems to be no basis, no justification. Why 9.8%? Mm-hmm. Just juxtaposing this against what MTRC does, there's a fair adjustment formula, which is well consulted, and that is related to wage, wage index, that is related to uh, CPI of the city, and everybody can calculate. There is an objectivity to that increase. Currently, this bus fare increase appears to be completely arbitrary. There is no objectivity to this fare increase. Now, even if uh, passengers were willing to pay and the bus companies explained why there was a fare increase, how would this um, affect the affordability for passengers from different demographics? Well, that's, of course, a social issue uh, that uh, we need to address from a social perspective. I think that really uh, is not a bus um, company issue. And that's why I'm saying, from a people perspective, they need to look at it, what they can afford and what is value for money. And people pay for value for money. If if it's an arbitrary increase just because bus company is losing money and that's why we need to increase money, that's a wrong kind of argument. There are thousands of businesses in Hong Kong which have lost money, which have gone out of business. And if everybody said that, oh, because we are losing money, so we need to double the price, I don't think market would function that way. So in terms of market dynamics, the bus companies, they need to innovate. They need to provide different type of services. They need to up the game. You know, if you provide better service, then certainly people are willing to pay. Just because you say, I'm losing passengers, that's why I need to increase the pairs, is a wrong kind of argument. Now, you've touched on uh, good value for money. Do you feel that airport buses are good value for money? Well, they have been good value for money, certainly. And, and that's, again... 
proof of the pudding is in always eating. And people use the services. A lot of people have been using the services. City bus airport services have been profitable in the past. Yes, they have not increased the fare for many years. That's a fact. But again, when you want to increase the fare by 50% on a certain service, that is a big number. And it becomes it comes back to this affordability issue or market dynamics. And nobody is, you know, the question here is why did Citibus not increase the price for the last 25 years? And the answer is very simple because they were making very handsome amount of profit even at those prices. Uh, market dynamics are changed slightly. The airport was closed for many years, uh, for the last three, four years because of the pandemic. So, yes, the, the bottom line of the bus company has been affected because of those. But then we need to devise a mechanism how we can steadily go back. So it's a smooth segue. You, can, you hit passengers with 50% increase. I think it sounds, it, for public transport market, that kind of increase is, uh, is unreasonable. People are not, because this is, we are talking about lowest common denominator uh, to be using these services. And for them, 50% increase is a bit hard to digest. If you increase it over a period of time, uh, you know, segue smoothly into an increase, then I think it becomes more acceptable. And to end this edition of Week on 3, I leave you with a bit of Steve James and his afternoon drive on Monday, where he celebrated the 84th birthday of American singer-songwriter Neil Sedaka. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. A tuny one today. Born this day, 1939. Our tea break is taken up by Neil Sedaka. Isn't funny no more. Sixteen, and know oh, what a dream. Ain't it strange how she changed into such a lovely angel? Do a star walking down to the street. Do do do.
Breaking up is hard to do. Remember when you held me tight and you kissed me all through the night. Think of all that we've been through, and breaking up is hard to do. They say that breaking up is hard to do. Now I know, I know that it's true. Instead of breaking up, I wish that we were making up again. I beg of you, don't say goodbye. Can we give love another try? Come on, baby, let's start anew. Cause breaking up is hard to do. They say that breaking up is hard to do. Now I know, I know that. It's hard to do down, doobie do down, down. Yeah. Come a, come a down, doobie do down, down. From the Brill Building. Come a, come a down, doobie do down. Neil Sadaka, it's his birthday today. Come